Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games, Christmas edition. Uh, my name is Alex, I'm one of the Christmas hosts on the Christmas show, and uh, joining us on the line, as ever, hello. Hello, I'm Alaric Stephen. He is. And I, I'm rather wet, I've just got back from work, and it is, uh, it's not very nice outside. Covered in water. Yeah. Um, what are you, are you, Christmas is around the corner? It is. What are you most looking forward to? With regards to Christmas? Uh, we're having a smaller one this year. But um, as usual, I'll be sat down with a puzzle book of some kind. How does one go about having a smaller Christmas? Uh, the various bits of family are partitioning themselves into smaller bits this year. Ah, uh, I see. You don't just, you don't, you know, downgrade. We're not yeah. not inviting people. Right. Or, like or you don't, you know, have miniature Christmas tree and miniature <laughs> Christmas present. I think about uh, the size of things quite a lot uh, and I yep. mean that in terms of um, a topic that we never did on the show but that I did on my YouTube channel a long time ago so there is a principle in economics called the Laffer Curve and the Laffer Curve says that if you tax people at 100% of their income they won't bother to work and so you won't get any money and if you tax people at 0% of their income you won't get any money because you're not you know, taking any of it um, okay, so, so there's a maximum somewhere. So in there. somewhere, but somewhere in the middle, there's a maximum because at ten percent, you're going to get some. And so I, I like to apply this principle of at zero, nothing; at some maximum number, nothing; something in between, therefore a maximum or multiple maxima in between. And so on my YouTube channel, I did this thing called Laffer cereal, which is like okay. the size of a cereal bowl. And like, what's the best size of a cereal bowl? Obviously, a super yep. tiny cereal bowl, terrible cereal goes everywhere really enormously large cereal bowl the size of a stadium not great because like if the cereal is evenly distributed amongst it then you're gonna struggle to find any of it so there must be a a best size of cereal bowl and so when it comes to christmas maximally large enormous christmas with the entire world invited probably not very great not very special how to share your food yeah christmas by yourself also awful yeah there exists at least one number of people between those two extremes which is better because I've been to some Christmases which are better. Right, that's it. Yeah, you have to you have yeah. to assume <laughs> that there is at least one that is higher than zero, or yep. or, or higher than those minima in between. Yeah. Um, in maths, uh, the same concept is called Rolly's theorem. Rolly's theorem. R O double L E. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. It's one people do in analysis in the first year. So yeah, is there an optimal size Christmas cracker? Probably is there's you know there must be an optimal size of everything. Obviously these things are subjective, but um, mm. yeah. Or multiple, multiple. There could be multiple maximum. Yes. Yeah. Everyone seems to everyone seems to love to make that point. Every time I have that conversation about Laffer curve with anybody, they're always <laughs> like, "Oh, there could be multiple exactly the same." It's like probably not. It's so continuous that you cannot expect the maxima to be identical in a fuzzy wuzzy real world. They may exist with some overlapping space in the error bars of measurement. But yep. uh, the peaks are uh, infinitesimally unlikely to, uh, to, to to be identically high. Unless it's bounded. Unless there is just maximum Christmas cheer in a box. And you will just hit the top of the bounding on the box. <laughs> like a shape like a Christmas present with a bow on the top. Let's do some maths. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I thought, since it's Christmas, it's time for games. Christmas we used to do games. so much game theory back in the early days of the show. We did. Let's bring back the game theory. So, Wyvov's game. Wyvov's game. It's similar to other games. You might recognise the kind of format of this. 
you've got two piles of, I don't know, let's do something Christmassy, chocolate coins in front of you. Yeah. It's a two-person game. Mm. On your turn, you can either take as many as you want from one pile, or take as many as you want from the other pile, or take the same number from each pile. Mm. Um, You win if on your turn you take the last coin, and we're going to play in turns. Hmm. You. This game can start with different numbers uh, in each of the piles. I don't know. Do you want a game? Yeah, sure. What number should we start with? So wait, hold on. You start with two piles, or you start with one pile? You start with two piles. Yeah. And you can either take as many as you want from either of the piles, or you can take the same amount from both piles. And you you win if you're the last person to take from one pile. You win if you take. The last coin, it could be on your last turn you took from both piles. Okay, so what you don't want is to start the game with the same amount in both piles. True. Because yeah. then the first player will just take the same from both. Yes. Okay, so I was going to suggest 20 and 20, but how about we start with 20 and 21? Okay, yep. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. 20, 18. Okay. Um, I'm going to reduce it quite a lot here. Let's go 5, 3. Hmm... I think you've won. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, four, three. Two, one. I think at this point... Now you've won. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's just play it out. Um, two, zero. Zero, zero. Hooray. Okay. Cool. So, was there something in particular you wanted to go into about this? Because I want to start to uncover which of the, in a one-on-one game, you know, certain people... Like, you win if you've said this type yeah yeah Let, let's do that okay so two one is clearly a you win if you've said this because all of the ones reduced down from it yeah so either one one which is the same number in both piles or two zero yeah and so i was starting to think when you said five three and i said i think you've won it's because the pile can even either be like uneven or even okay and so if you say a pile that's uneven, yep. they can either reduce one of the piles to zero, or they can equalize it. If they reduce one of the piles to zero, then you, you just take the, the rest of the remaining pile. Okay, yep. Or they equalize it, in which case you just say a new uneven amount. Unless they equalize it to 1-1, one, one. but that would be silly because, because the 2-1 case is the same... No, the 3-1 case is different from the 2-1 case, isn't it? It is, yeah. because going down from 2-1 to 1-1 one, one gets you onto the same number of both piles, whereas that isn't true with the 3-1 case. Yeah, and actually what I said about like they can either take all from one pile or they can equalise it is not true, because they can also say the same amount. Yeah, I kind of want to say you want to be saying piles where one of them is an odd number more than the other. Um, well, you were commenting on my 5-3. Yeah, but I was wrong. I think. I'm not sure you are. So, what move could you say after 5 3? 4 3. Because then I can go down to 2 1. Yeah. If I'd said 2 3. I'd have gone down to 2 1 again. Okay, so your your opponent can't say anything with 2 in it, because then you can just say 2 1. Yeah, and all of those ones which were 1 apart, I go down to 2 1. Yeah, so your opponent can't go down to 1 that's 1 apart. Yeah. And your opponent can't take it to something with a 2 in it. Yep. And so... So, 5-3 is looking pretty good. 
What if I said 5-2? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if I said 5-1 also. Yeah, so 5-3 is pretty good. All right, so 5... <laughs> yeah, this is the way this works. Isn't that now you have 5-3, which is a new... Uh, a new sweet spot. A new, a, new, a new dangerous, like, nothing they can do. Should we name those? Winning positions? What, what if I said 3... What, have I already said this? What if I said 3-1? Then you say 2-1. Yeah, you also yep. can't say anything with a one in it. You can't, you can't, they can't say anything with a one in it, a two in it, or one where it's or, one more than the other. Or zero more, yeah. Or, or, or what do you mean, or zero more? By which I mean the two numbers would be the same. So originally, they couldn't say ones which were like one, one, two, two, that sort of thing, which is like there was a difference of zero. Now we've made it where they couldn't do a difference of one. Yeah. Now that we've got five, three, they can't do ones which are a difference of two. If they're bigger than those? Uh, I think 5-3 might be a special case because if it was 6-4, yep. I could say 6-3. Oh, but then you just say 5-3. Yeah. But what if it was 7-5 and I went 7-4? Um, 7-4 is a difference of 3, so that one's safe. Yeah, so that that's one we haven't tested yet. I think that's a fine one. Yeah. But at the moment, difference of 1... Well, so difference of 0, different of 1, difference of 2, we can all reduce into 1s. So now we need to find the next one. You need to wait, but you need to get your opponent to say a difference of one. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be safe, saying the safe ones yourself. Sh- should we do like a grid? Like zero up, zero, one, two, three, up one side, and then zero, one, two, three, down the bottom. Do you mean like, like, like a... in- the integers down one side and the integers down the other side? Yeah. Or do you mean zero, one, two, three? You mean, uh, and so on integers... and so on. Yeah. So, yeah, positive integers plus zero. Yeah. I'm having kind of zero zero in my bottom left. I'm imagining a matrix, so I'm imagining zero zero in the top left. But okay. you're probably the I one actually drawing this, so. Okay, yeah. right. I'm putting it in the bottom left. Okay. I'm doing it like a um a Cartesian grid. Okay. So if I mark on the ones which have been special, zero zero was the winning spot. Yeah. I'm kind of doing ticks and crosses here. Anything in the row of zero or the column of zero. If your opponent does that, you can go straight to zero, zero. Yep. So I can, like, pop all of those out. That's a vertical line and a horizontal line. Yep. Yep. Also, the diagonal line going down the leading diagonal. Oh, this is symmetrical round x equals y, isn't it? Yep. Because the, yeah, because the piles are, yeah, there's no difference. Yeah. Yep. So I'm crossing out the y equals x line as well. Yep, of course. Yep. The next ones in that aren't crossed out by those are 2, 1, or 1, 2. Mm-hmm. So those are the next safe spots. From each of those, we can cross out a row and a column, and also a diagonal. A diagonal? The diagonal uh, yes. is, is the difference of 1s. So like, I can cross out 3, 2, because the move taking 1 away from both of them gets you back to 2, yeah, 1. Yeah, it's the... Okay, so, so yeah, you mentioned them in the same breath, but they're actually very different cases. So okay. it's the ones that are one more and the ones that include one. So the ones that include one is the horizontal and the vertical stripe that's one away yep. from the zero line. And then the ones that are um, one uh, taxicab metric away from the main diagonal line is yep. the ones of a difference of one. Yep. Yeah. And we can kind of continue this. Each time we don't cross one out, so the next one is four free. No, it isn't. 4-3 was cancelled. 4-3 exists on that line, yeah. We said things yeah. about difference of 2. Yeah, so the 5-3 was the next one we talked about, which is the next one not crossed out. Now, how does the difference of 2 work again? 
it's we were reducing things down into five three. So five three itself is safe. Yes. Because it hasn't been crossed if out. They with say any five of the three. Things. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. So that's the next safe spot. So our safe spots have so far been zero zero, two one, five three, and I think the next one is going to be seven four, which we also mentioned. Yeah, because these are these sort of it's them using your technique. Yeah. It's them putting you in the kill position. Yeah. It's a bit odd when we look at these coordinates, though. So I've extended a bit now as well. I think the next one's ten six, because if we look at them as as things mm. between each of our safe spots, the coordinate. They differ by zero, differ by one, differ by two, differ by three, differ by four. Because it was zero, zero, which has a difference of zero. Two, one, which has a difference of one. Five, three, which has a difference of two. Seven, four, which has a difference of three. Ten, six, has a difference of four. That's all fine. However, if you look at the small numbers of each of those, we've got zero, one, three, four, six, which is a bit of a strange pattern. What, are we missing one then? No, I don't think we are. There's no five case. No, because it was already ruled out by the three fives. Because it has a five in it. Mm. So any number that was previously there gets knocked out. It's a bit like the um, the shadow on ground. Like when we did um, Gödler Eshabark in one of the episodes. Yeah. It's self-referential. It's kind of self-symmetrical. It looms in on itself. Yeah. Fractally. Mm. Now, not to harken back to one of our very, very earliest episodes. Perhaps even our first episode. But... I'm assuming three player is a total mess of this. I'm assuming this. I'm, I'm assuming this is a game that you play with a, with a, with a bunch of people rather than one on one. I don't know. I I, I think it can be played one on one. I I think it's quite an ancient game, but I imagine it's one of these ones that's been developed independently. It looks like something like Nim. Yeah. So there's an equivalent game here. Imagine you're playing it on an N by N chessboard. N by N chessboard. Yep. Even sides and odd sides. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, and the queen is on one of the spaces. Mm-hmm. And the moves you can make are move the queen left some number of spaces. Yep. Or move it down some number of spaces. Yep. Or move it down and to the left diagonally some number of spaces. Yes. And the object is to get to the bottom left corner. Yeah. That's the equivalent? That is the same. Yeah. That is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know... When people do the same game with rooks, there's a degenerate strategy. So if you didn't have the diagonal move, you're moving just left or just down. Yeah. The strategy is always put it onto the main diagonal. Because if you keep putting it on the main diagonal, the other person, whenever they take it off, you put it back onto the main diagonal. Right. It's almost like this. It's almost like this. That's sort of like a, a fix for that game. Yeah. This is to say a diagonal. Just like, oh, you always keep moving on the diagonal. Well, then we'll just yeah. say you can move diagonally. Yeah, so these safe spaces then are the squares that cannot be mutually reached to by each other, taking into yes. account the mirroring. Yes. Uh, notice that, again that it, it's got a line of symmetry over the line y equals x. Yeah. So if you can work out one of them, you can work out the other. By drawing lines from. Yep vertically and horizontally from it and ruling out all those. Yeah. So there's an iterative method. You take zero, zero, and you rule those out and you rule diagonal out. Yeah. And then you take the first one of those that's safe. Yep. Which is two, one. And then you do the same again. You do the diagonal and you do the... Yeah. The difference between them increases by one every time. 
with your coordinates. So difference of zero, difference of one, difference of two, difference of three, etc. Yeah. And the small number increases to the next integer that hasn't been mentioned in either of the bits before. Either a small number or big number. Yes. Yes, that's true. So it went zero, zero, two, one, yeah. five, three, because the two had already been taken. Yeah. For the, the small number of the next one. Yeah. Then seven, four. Seven, four. Yeah. So then the next ten, one. Ten, six. Yeah. It's kind of be Yeah, yeah. You take, you take the two smallest numbers that haven't already been mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. That's very satisfying. This does feel like the figure of ground thing. Partially, I've, I have to say I've forgotten it a little bit. So for those listeners who've also forgotten it, quick micro crash course on that again. You had two sequences. I think one started off with um, zero and the other started off with one. Yeah. And then the first sequence was the sum of the uh, n minus one terms from each of the other sequences. Yeah. And the other sequence was the next integer that hadn't been mentioned in either series. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were the they were the two the two sequences that relied on each other for their. Yeah. Um, one was kind of Fibonacci like, and one was the other numbers. So that between them, they had exactly the uh, the integers partitioned, mm. not positive integers. But it was really hard to predict. It was kind of chaotic behavior. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bit like that. But uh, hey, we found a method now for for generating things that you want to make them no things that you want to reach yep because they can't reach any of these you can always say one of these based on anything that they've said well how, what does this mean for going first or second if you go first there will always be some difference between the two and you can immediately just say the number which has the appropriate difference between the two of these and then you've won yep yep like you can always get to one of these winning spaces if you're not on one of them. The whole point in them being in a winning space is everywhere below them is bad. Do we have proof that the difference between the two numbers in these optimal positions for you to take increases by one for each of them? Okay, let's assume it didn't for a minute. Yeah. Let's assume there was some gap there. Yeah. Then imagine that you are on a square which has that sequence. Has that gap. Yeah, it has that difference between them. Yeah. Then you could go along that diagonal. Yeah. You have to be able to reduce it, taking the same number from both of those piles. So you have to be able to go along that diagonal. At some point, if you didn't hit one that won, what are the other possibilities? It might be a um, an unstable point, right? It's a mutually losing point. Or it's a, it's a point that if you say it and your opponent knows what they're doing... So they can just say another one of these. It's like a limbo. Ah, no. <laughs> yes, of course. Because you can always say one that's... Right. So it's a big diagonal line that takes you all the way down to zero. The, N, di- the, yeah. the difference, yeah. And you always want to be the one diagonal away from... You don't want to be the last one to say zero that number. Because then your opponent yep. will win. And so the ones that have that difference on that diagonal... And that aren't that number. Yep. There's going to be alternating diagonal spaces of that difference from the baseline that you want to be on. And so let's assume that it doesn't exist. Well, actually, it turns out there are an infinite number that do exist if you if you assume that it doesn't exist. And so there's contradiction there. So therefore, it must exist. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Because if you and your opponent both know that this is the case, unless the trick is you just move it onto one where there is a 
you know. Don't know. Mm, actually, yeah, this is slightly Mrs. Messier than it. I, I, I don't think I solved it just then. No. No. I actually know something to go further on this. I was reading a blog a bit about it. Okay. Um, so imagine you were drawing these lines out. So you've got the all of the points which are winning points. They they produce almost like a straight line at some gradient. You get two of these lines because you've got the one with like zero zero one two three five, and you've got the one which is zero zero two one five three. It's like the the two lines would be mirrored over the um, line y equals x. Lines. They they seem to form straight lines if you plot them on a big grid. Mm. Um, and it's like it's tending to because your these lines are actually some irrational amount there. Um, but you're hitting discrete approximations of them along the way. Right. So if you kept going, you could get what this kind of ratio was. Oh yeah. To work out. Um, how steep the lines are. Mm. Um, I found a nice blog here, which it has a nice result. So I, I think we should talk about it. Okay. Um, when you're going from one of these points to the next one, let, let's take the uh, the steeper of these two lines. You either go across one and up two, or you go across two and up three. Is it only ever those two possibilities? Right. Because you either skip one or you skip none as you go down through the small numbers. The pattern it makes... So th- this website, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It's, it's very well done. Um, it's for a blog called uh, maps450games.blogspot. What a name. Um, I know, right? Let's denote the ones where it's in that sh- shorter hop, the, uh, the 2 to 1 ratio, as A. And let's do the ones which were in the ratio 3 to 2 in the ratio... We'll call it B. Yep. Uh, the pattern goes A, B, A, B, B, and then it's kind of self-similar. So it goes A, B, A, B, B. Yep. A, B, A, B, B, A, B, B. A, B, A, B, B, A, B, A, B, B, A, B, B. It's like um, in the original pattern, A, B, A, B, B. Yeah. If you clumped them together, if you said, if you let capital A represent a b yeah and you let capital b represent lowercase a b b yeah then that meta pattern would go a b a b b yeah and you could keep going it's layers on layers so if you used i don't know alpha to mean capital a capital b and beta to mean capital a capital b capital b you get the same pattern going this is, this is recursive, it's fractally. This is weird, man. I know, right? That's really weird. But a way to collapse the infinite on this... We're building to something. It's great. Uh, let's call the... Let's um, call the ratio of uh, B's to A's... Well, let's write it as just B over A. That same ratio is there for the capital A's and capital B's. Okay, yeah. So the ratio of... Uh, small b to over small a is the same as the ratio of capital B to capital A. But capital B was an A plus two Bs. Mm-hmm. And capital A was an A plus a B. So we could write out B over A equals A plus two B all over A plus B. Yeah. Uh, on I know it's getting a bit algebra 
but let's try and clump together a whole lot of B over A's to work out what the ratio is here. The left hand side is already fine because it's B over A. The right hand side, if we divide all of the terms of the fraction, um, top and bottom of the fraction by A, we'd get that um, B over A equals 1 plus 2 B over A's over 1 plus B over A. Okay. Let's call that ratio, the B over A, let's call it like R. Yeah. Then that formula there is R equals 1 plus 2R over 1 plus R. Okay. We've like captured the ratio. Because it was self-similar, we've like caught it in its own self-descriptive um, formula. Yeah. Rearranging that, we get a quadratic, which is R squared minus R minus 1 equals 0. Wait, I rearranged so you get R... So you multiply 3 by 1 plus r, so you get r plus r yep. squared equals 1 plus 2r. Yep. So... So we've got r squared minus r minus 1 equals 0. Do you recognise that? r squared minus r minus 1 equals 0. Oh, is this a... um? Is this one of those ones that has something to do with like fundamental numbers in some way? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's the one which gives the golden ratio. That's rude. Maths is cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> so the ratio here is the golden ratio. That's the, uh, of, the slope of these lines. So that's the slope of the line which all the safe spots on this exist on. Yeah. Which had this sort of self-similar behaviour. Mm. Which, you know, you expect that from golden ratio things. Yeah. And then one over the golden ratio, basically the same. Uh, gives you the slope of the other one. I wonder what happens in 3D, by which I mean free piles. Mm. It's harder to think about what that means in terms of a, a queen, like what moves would be a, applicable. Any of the uh, cardinal directions, I suppose. Well, like... Yeah, it's the same. Left, down, out. Yeah. And then you've got the diagonals which are in planes. And then the diagonal, which is like using all three well, directions. Well, it depends on what your rules are. So, it, oh, are you yeah. saying that you can reduce two of them? Because I was only thinking you could reduce all three. In which yeah, case, you're right. yeah. I was, I was thinking in queen terms rather than in um, coin terms. But yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. But if you have it that you can remove from any two, then it does become queen like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something to think about. Hmm. I'm trying to apply the same. Uh, sort of drawing the line thing. And how many would there be? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, you take out a row, a column, a out, whatever that's called. Yeah. And a diagonal, a 3D diagonal. Yeah. And it's working out which ones are left. There's lots of symmetries to it. Mm. Mm. Very neat. So try that one, listeners. Try that one on your petulant 12-year-old cousins over the uh, Christmas and beat them mercilessly with your technique. <laughs> It's the only way to restore Christmas order. <laughs> and think of the golden ratio while you're doing it. I'm nodding sagely right now, you can't tell because this is radio. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Christmas movie called A Christmas Story? No. What? No, I'm not. A Christmas Story is a movie based on a book. It was released in 1983. It uh, is quite popular and famous in the USA. Uh, it is less famous outside of North America. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it won some Canadian awards, so I'm assuming it's popular in Canada too. But basically, if you're in the UK, you don't know this movie. No, I don't. I, I thought I, I'm, a, I'm a big Christmas movie fan, and I've never heard of this one. So, A Christmas Story is very good. It is, okay. a, it is a very good Christmas movie, and I would solidly recommend it to anybody who sort of lives in countries where it's not a famous movie. But it's a really okay. good story. It's about, um, it's about a, a kid called Ralphie, and what he wants for Christmas is a Red Ryder BB gun. And it's a story of his, his Christmas and how he's trying to attempt to get his parents to get him a Red, a red Ryder BB gun. But it also uh, is sort of set in 1940. So it's his air rifle that he wants for Christmas. Okay. And um, uh, there's a bunch of um, things that just sort of happen along the way. Like he accidentally says a swear word and he gets his mouth washed out with soap. But one of the things that, um, that happens along the way is he is a big fan of this radio program called the Little Orphan Annie radio program. Okay. And at the end of the Little Orphan Annie radio program, they give out uh, a code. And it, it contains a coded message from Little Orphan Annie. And if you're a member of her club, uh, you can decode this message. And the reason okay. you can decode this message is because they give you uh, this sort of decoder coin thing. Okay. I had lots of cipher sort of things as a child. Is it like a... A Caesar shift wheel, where you've got uh, the alphabet written in order around the rim, and then another slightly smaller disc with the alphabet written in order, and then you uh, turn it some number of degrees, or some number of clicks, 26 clicks, and then it tells you which letter goes with which letter, well, so, doing so a Caesar shift. This is kind of what, what I wanted your help with. Um, I kind of wanted help with identifying what type of thing is this. I mean, I've worked out how it works, but I don't know like the name for it. Okay. Um... So it's this coin. Uh, I've I've put some pictures uh, in our show notes. Um, I'll try and make a, an imager album out of it and put it in in the show notes for the listeners, so you can see some of these screenshots from the movie that I've taken. Um, okay. Courtesy of um, uh, Amazon Prime. Um, Should I describe what I'm seeing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's someone pouring over some paper. He's got a little golden coin thing. It looks like it's got two discs that turn, and on the rim of them, so like on a British coin, the uh, the outside. Yeah. Um, the bit that says that on a two pound coin or whatever, it's, it will be saying standing on the shoulders of giants. Instead yeah, of that. That's the only one I know as well, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the rims has letters, the other has numbers. The letters seem to be not in order. I can see a C E B on one of them. Yeah. And the numbers do seem to be in order. I can see a 12, 11, sorry, 10, 11, 12. Yes. And incidentally, uh, there's an uh, argument as to when this movie is set um, on the side of the coin. You can see the numbers 1940. So it's at least 1940. Although the best okay. estimates for when the movie is set is in 1940, although it's set as ambiguous. Um yeah, so that's not really a, what you were describing in terms of... A, it doesn't appear to be some kind of Caesar cipher. Let, let, let me give you a bit more context what happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we can also post a YouTube clip to this scene from the movie. Um, so he sits down in front of the radio, and uh, the this sort of announcer person says, uh, Stand by for the message from Little Orphan Annie. Uh, set your decoders to B2, and here is the message. 12, 11, 2, 3... 23, and he starts reading out all these numbers. Okay, so it's not rotating every time. No, he says, set your decoders to B2. Yes. So you for the whole message, 
you are keeping the coin in that position. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, it's like there's a... There's 26 different substitution ciphers going on. So, stored in the coin are 26 substitution ciphers. Yeah. It's like like the coin has an alternate order for the alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. There is an interesting thing going on here, in that they're not all independent. What do you mean? Imagine you've got the list of the alphabet, and you just put it into a different order once. The same order that's on the rim of this coin. If you were then to rotate it one click... You have exactly the same substitution cipher, just all the letters are out by one. Mm. So if you could solve one of these substitution ciphers, let's say you didn't have a coin and you didn't know there was a coin, then once you've solved one, it wouldn't be that bad to find all of the others. Right. Yeah. Once you've got You wouldn't one. need a, a very big uh, piece of text to be able to analyse to realise that the same thing kind of worked. Sure. Sure. I'm just going to double check that it says set your code to B2 because it will make more sense if he says set your code to B12. But I'm just going to listen to what the announcer says. Yeah, the movie says set your pins to B2. So I think that's why, a mistake. Why does B12 make more sense? Oh, because B is on 12. the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And the first, the first number that is given is uh, 12. Because famously, okay. the joke is that he thinks it's this... Uh, Super, well, I, not to give away the joke, but also you sh- totally should have seen this movie already. Um, uh, and it's it's a it's a really famous uh, joke that's rippled through American culture. Um, uh, he he thinks this is some super secret message, and he like because he's because he's like eleven years old or twelve years old or something. It's like the most important thing in the world that he's he's in Annie's secret circle, and he's got this coin, and he's decoding it, and he locks himself in the bathroom to try and decode it, and he and he fran- he frantically tries to decode it, and if you scroll uh, all the way to the bottom there. Um, or of, of our show notes, you'll see yep. what the uh, what the answer is, and it says, "Be sure to drink your Ovaltine," because the show is sponsored by the drink Ovaltine. And he's just okay. like, "Oh, it's a commercial, a crummy commercial," is the line from the movie. And so, so therefore, we know that it's set to twelve. The first, the first letter is a B. If it works how I think it works, which is literally just the numbers one to twenty-six in a row round one rim, and then the alphabet kind of scrambled round the other rim. And then you set the pin, like the, if the announcer has said, set it to B12, then you align the B and the 12. Yep. And then you take all the numbers and you just rotate the coin. You don't, you don't like turn it against itself or anything. You literally just rotate it in your hands and, and you, you look at where they line up. And then that's how you decode it, which makes sense because you can see the E next to the 11. And you yep. can see the second number that he's written down is, it goes 12, 11, so BE. The start of B, short to drink it, Ovaltine. And the last one is an 11-2. So this is just a substitution cipher, and those are, are very crackable. Yeah. If I was running a show, and I'd given the kids access to these coins, yeah. I think I'd suggest to them, okay, we start at B12, and then every time you decode a letter, you twist it, and then you pick a number that time. Mm. So B12, 5, say, yeah. which is... You put it to B12, you decode your first number, you turn it five clicks. You decode another number, you turn it five clicks. Yeah. That would make it really hard to crack. If you didn't know that that was the encoding method, I don't know how I would uh, break into that. Yeah, that's really tough. Yeah. I mean, the it's a one-time pad, right? Because you've given away a singular piece of information, and you'd have to find a secure way to give away a singular piece of information, um, which is the initial... There is some structure to it, though. 
one-time pad is completely unbreakable. It's... you have a, a huge pad of writing, use each letter in that to encode a distinct digit. There's no link between them, like there's no way to get in. This does have some underlying structure. It has its 26 letters in a particular order. If, imagine you were given books worth of messages to decode with this. Yeah. Eventually you'd be able to spot some sort of pattern here. Hmm. But I don't know how you'd systematically do it. No. Your usual methods of attack in these sort of things are um, letter frequency and like digraph, bigraph frequency. So how, how common letters come in pairs. So things where you encode them with a keyword... So maybe you encode with the keyword odds, yeah. um, which is length four. You'd see that every four, if you shifted the letter frequencies, these things matched up. And so that would give you the length of the keyword. And you could go back in and um, then split it into four equal ones. I imagine the similar things you could do with this, because it repeats every 26. Yeah. So with a long enough text, you could start building up some things. With letter frequencies. Yeah, you probably also have an overabundance of the word Ovaltine in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. But often the way that people crack these things is they're looking at documents. So I, I know with the Enigma machine in the wars, yeah. they were looking for the weather report every day because it said weather report. Right. Well, in German. Term weather report, yeah, yeah. And there were only certain words that were coming out. Yeah, so this um, one might have Annie or Ovaltine. Hey, you know the, yeah. the the topics the topics to to do with the show. Yeah, yeah. When I had this open on Amazon, it had some like trivia, and apparently they manufactured these for a while, and this was a real thing. Um, okay. Because oh, I mean, this, so this is based on I think it's based on someone's actual memoirs. Um, this mm. movie, or oh, it's about the book is based on their memoirs, and then this is based on the book. Um, uh, somewhere but like between from the late 30s to about like 1945 or something like that they they yeah they produced these things and they sent them out and it's quite a good way of doing engagement with uh, mm. with with the, with the listener base by sending them these decoder rings that they would use to uh, to special codes there is a children's show at the moment which is really into codes uh, it's called gravity falls oh yeah that finished right uh, I don't know mm. Um it came onto my radar because it was doing all sorts of cipher things. Right. So at the end of each episode, it was putting in ciphers and then it was explaining some of them, but it was going deeper and deeper into it. Mm. To the point where I think it was like an adult cipher thing by the end. Right. Um, two seasons ago of Archer did a big uh, hit Easter egg over the whole season of it was this uh, massive ARG, so alternative reality game, yeah. where they were hiding ciphers into every episode and it that went deep. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, I never really sort of super got into ciphers. There was always the most annoying one that people would do on forums on the internet when I was growing up, which is they would do typing on a keyboard, but they would do one letter over on the keyboard. Okay, yeah. Uh, including, like, replacing, uh, like, an L with a semicolon and an M with a comma and stuff like that, um, if they're yeah. on a UK keyboard. Um, which was really annoying to decode. And people would yeah. just do it, like, to try and be cool. And you had to do it one by one. Like it, it, there was no good. You know, if, if you're just a, if you're just a, a, a simple teenager without much access to, you know, you, you can't program or anything like that. You just, you know, you're on a, you're on a, you're on a forum to talk about guild wars. You know, and, the, and someone's doing this, mm. and it's like, oh God, what are we gonna do? Like take, take what, like try and type it out on a notepad and stuff like that. We live in a different age now, Alex. 
there are apps that you can get on your phone where you can type in some ciphertext and not even say what sort of cipher it is. And you click decode. Yeah. And it goes through all the likely things. It goes through sizes shifts. It goes through um, affines and, I don't know, um, app bashing things. Yeah. And then it will home in on an answer within a couple of seconds. Nice. It's almost it, like, yeah, it's, it's, like brute, it's like brute force, but first it has to brute force the meta layer of what's the cipher, and then it... Yeah. Yeah. It'll give you what the uh, the keyword was, if there was one and things. Presumably the first thing it does is it, is it checks for uh, to see whether it's a substitution cipher by looking for the appropriate frequency thing with, like, E's and things like that. Yeah. yeah. There, there are a lot of weaker things than it being substitution cipher as well. So Caesar's shift is just rotating through the alphabet. Yeah. Or at bash uh, is... A goes to Z, B goes to Y, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, here's a fact about Atbash. There are some words which obviously no word can go to itself yeah. in Atbash because half the alphabet goes to the other half. So the nearest you can get to a kind of self-symmetry there is if it goes to itself backwards. Yes. Like the word vol. Vol. I was, yeah, when you mentioned this, something came to mind that like something like this existed. Um, but even better... Wizard. Wizard. Wizard is atbashly symmetrical. Amazing. W goes to D, um, I goes to R. And Z goes, Z to, Z A. goes to A. Of course. Which is, is perfect, right? Yeah, it's whiz rad. Um, so if I ever see the word vol or wizard in something with ciphers, it's like, oh, oh someone knows those. Yeah. Oh, it, there are very few words that satisfy it. It's, yeah. Uh, there must be loads of words that go to other words. Oh, are there? Uh, yep. Would there be? Because vowels and things like that. I, I've seen lists in the past. Okay. I've got another Christmassy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was a, a question asked of me um, from a computing teacher. Okay. So he was trying to put up some fairy lights in his classroom. And uh, the fairy lights are along a long line of wire. Yeah. And his window was rectangular. And he was trying to start in one corner and kind of zigzag his way down to the, one of the bottom corners. Um, but the problem was he didn't know at what angle to go so that the fairy lights would end pretty much at one of the corners. He didn't mind whether it ended in like the left corner or the right corner, but he mm. wanted it to end kind of exactly. And he was trying to do it by eye for a bit, and you can kind of bodge it like that. But he asked me, right, is there a way that I could do this in general? Maybe without measuring equipment? Is there a way I can just kind of think about this? So you need to have the concept of, like, slack in there. Because the directly across, or, like, twice across to the point where you're, like, hitting the middle of the way up, and then back down again, and three times the way up, and four times the way up, and five times the way up. Like, you're never going to have one that's, like, exactly this. So you need to be like, what is the one, like the smallest, or the yeah. largest one that is smaller than the length of fairy wire that I have, such that the rest can all just be um, uh, that type of curve I talk about all the time, and I've forgotten what it is. Uh, the one where you um, you hang them, like a chain hangs. Yeah, the way the chain hangs. Catenary? Catenary, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So a little bit of slack is actually good, because it means we can bodge your answer slightly. Yeah. It's like, uh, once we have a length then anything which is slightly uh, shorter than that is fine too for the length yeah. of window it's trying to cross. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's quite simple to work out the length of those 
diagonals. Well, the question is, for a particular size of rectangle and a particular length of fairy light, like how many crosses do you have to do? Because I don't think that's obvious when you're just looking at your uh, pile of fairy lights. No, exactly. But you can work out the length of the number of crosses by Pythagoras' theorem. Yeah. Uh, like a certain number of times, right? Yeah. And because it's the same triangle that you're generating the whole way up, it's just, I don't know, n times that. Yeah. So can I state what the formula is for Yep. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to wrap the question up too quickly, but I, I, I no, no, go for simple. it. Yeah. Um, so, let's say the window has width W. Okay. And height H. Yep. Then you, like, these, let's call them harmonics. Because that's kind of what they are. Okay. In a way. I want to call them harmonics, because it's, it's close to what I understand a harmonic to be. There are N, capital N, where N is the number of integers, harmonics you can do. You start at one, and okay. you can do two, three, four, four, five, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So there's a bun- There's a set of lengths that you can create. Okay. And the set of lengths is defined as the ith length that you can have is i times the square root of the width squared. Yep. Plus h squared, the height of the window, divided by i squared. Okay. Yeah, that all seems fine. And then you find... The value of i for which that um, number... I, I know that this is getting a bit algebraic, but we can... Yeah. That big root there that you've got yeah. of w squared plus h squared over i squared. Yeah. Um, doing some common denominator stuff with fractions there. Yeah. Uh, we've got square root of w squared i squared plus h squared all over i squared. But because it's in a square root, the i squared... We can actually do the square root of it, which is i, which cancels out with the i that you got in front. I don't pull factors out of square roots. I multiply things into them. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a different way around of thinking. So I was going to take the i when you mentioned bringing inside. Take the i, just remove the i from the outside and put an i squared on each of the factors on the inside. Yep. So you get so it's the, width, the square root of width squared i squared plus h squared, yep. which is neater. Yeah. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. It's, so you find the value of i for that that is less than, or the first one that's greater than, and then you take the one that's less than that what? for where for, for the length of the entire fairy light. Since the length Change. is one of the things which is actually defined, we want the square root of all of this to be uh, just greater than the length. What if we pop, let's call the length L, so. Yeah. Then we've got L squared is w squared i squared plus h squared or pop a inequality in there if you want it looks a bit like uh, Pythagoras but with uh, a scaling factor on one of the squares yeah or it's the highest value for i for which the square root of w squared i squared plus h squared is less than that value for l yep and the rest you you hang as like droopy droopy slack yeah so Okay, this is quite interesting because it looks like Pythagoras. If we think what that would be the Pythagoras of, instead of doing it as a whole lot of little triangles, we could do it as one big triangle. One which is H tall, so it's the same height as the yeah. window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And then we've got some number of the win- window's widths going along. Yeah. And then L squared. It's Okay, 
So imagine that you're attaching your fairy lights into the top left corner. Mm. And you drag them out in a straight line in a massive uh, hypotenuse. Yeah. So that it drops a height of H. So the height of the uh, the triangle is the same as the height of the window. Yeah. But you're taking it way out to the right. Like yeah. way past the window. Yeah. And you want it so there's a kind of integer number of... Windows. Windows whip along. Yeah. You just draw it out like that. And then it's a bit like you kept folding that back on itself. It's, it's yeah, like a, well, it's a reflection. Yeah. At the, I'm imagining you drawing from the top left-hand corner to the bottom right-hand corner if you can. Yeah. Um, or maybe the bottom left-hand corner if it reflects once. But it's a reflection. Yeah. And the thing about reflections in maths is reflections create realities. Yes. So there's like there's new these new realities that exist. So if you bounce three times, one, two, three, and you get to the bottom left-hand corner, it's like you've created three more windows it's like that time. classic problem where you've got uh, a cowboy and they're on a horse and they want to go to their house but they have to uh, let their horse have a drink of water on the river uh, first the question is how can they do the shortest distance from them to somewhere along the river which is a big line along the bottom of the page usually and then back yeah. to their house and the way you think of it is kind of like a reflection Imagine you reflected where the house is in the river, so it's on the opposite side of the river, and drew a straight line between the cowboy and the house, and you found where that straight line intersected with the river. That's where you go to the river, because it's like you're doing a straight line, and the straight Mm. line's always the shortest distance. It's the same kind of thing going on here. So you want your horse to drink as quick as possible, or you want your horse to drink as late as possible? I guess that that, it's the same problem. You, You want your horse to do a minimum distance there minimum are, distance there are loads of places along the river that you can choose it's a big long line yeah but you know you, yeah yeah so this is essentially um yeah it's a bit like snell's law um i, I don't know snell's law so snell's law is the law of um oh this is a super fascinating counterintuitive result in physics oh something about refraction yeah so refraction. snell's law is the law which dictates um the angle that things refract at okay yep um and and the angle and also the angle at which they will totally internally reflect so and by things i mean light let's say for example that you are a a lifeguard yep and there is someone drowning which by the way is super hard to tell if someone's drowning they don't stick their hands in the air and say help 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 they they just drown like you have to indicate anyway sorry um (laughs) uh you you've seen someone's drowning you're on the beach you can run a certain speed on the beach and you can swim a certain speed in the water. Where do you meet the water? Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. Because let's draw it to its extreme. Let's say you can run 100 miles an hour on the beach, or but you can swim at one centimeter an hour in the water. Well, obviously, the fastest route there is to get basically orthogonal to the person. Yep. And swim out the shortest distance on the water you possibly can. Now, in, in real life... Um, let's say you're a beam of light. The speed of light in air is roughly the speed of light in a vacuum, so that's fine. And the speed of light in, uh, ooh, is it water or glass? Uh, they're uh, similar enough. It's about like 1.2, <laughs> 1. 1.3. Okay. So the speed of light in water is the speed of light in air divided by about 1.33. Okay. So it's kind of slower. But the laws of physics say that light will take the fastest route from one point to another. Yep. 
that's a simplification, by the way. So if any physicists jump in and say it's actually the the stopping points of the of the the work function, please. Um, it, it basically, in most cases, will take the fastest point from one point to the other. And so when that happens, it actually will take a route that's a bit like further out than you think. Like it wouldn't go directly towards the point it's trying to get to, and then it would like kink in. Okay. And that's how a lifeguard should think about it. If a lifeguard can swim about half as fast as they can run, yep. they should run kind of diagonally off from the person they're trying to save and then swim a shorter distance to reach them. And that's a similar question to your horse yep. question. It's a bit like that. Imagine that the horse uh, trots slower before it's had its drink. Then the point in which you're trying to reach it is actually different. Yeah, it would change. Say he yeah. dismounts his horse when he he gets uh, to the river and he walks the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. Then that distance is, is the same. I used to... Um, my most famous upsetting of a problem sheet at university <laughs> was one where it was like... So it's got two points on the outside of a mirror that are the same distance away from a mirror. Okay. And it's like, prove that the point at which you should hit the mirror... Um, is midway between the two points if you want a beam of light to bounce from one to the other. Now, it makes intuitive sense to us because we know it kind of bounces off at an even rate, but like, prove algebraically yep. that, that that's the case. And uh, I, I mean, I didn't prove it algebraically, but they weren't really saying prove it algebraically, like she just said prove it. Um, and so what I did is I reflected the second point into a separate reality on the other side of the reflection, drew a straight line between them and said, like, the laws of lines means that the angle here is going to be the same as the angle here. There's that classic problem with a mirror, which is uh, you've got a, you've got a mirror of a certain height. Where do you stand so that you can see the most uh, height of yourself? So when you're looking there at was, your own reflection. So there was actually, when I was applying to physics at Oxford, there was a question on a previous paper which was very similar to that. Okay. Which was, what is the minimum sized mirror you need in order to see the entirety of yourself? It's your height over two, right? Yeah, it's half your height. And no matter how you look in it, no matter how close you stand or far away you stand, it's invariant how much of yourself you see. Which is the answer to your thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird to get your mind around. Yeah. Um, and so, there, oh god, there was so much back and forth. It was like, no, if you like le- lie down sideways in this particular way, no, no, that's not that's not <laughs> the case. I mean, you could come up with a, like, they said, like, what's the maximum length of the mirror? And you can go, oh, it's a super wide mirror, and I just go sideways. And so, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's the width of myself that's required, not, that, not the height of myself. But I think they said, imagine a, imagine a mirror of, of width wide enough. What's the height? The other mirror thing that people always talk about is the um, why is it reverse left versus right rather than up versus down? Yeah. Now this moves into the realm of psychology, actually. Yeah. The answer being that it's not flipped left right; it's flipped front back, and it's just that you think that you can walk around it that makes you think that it's that way. I've never heard anyone explain it like that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's very human. Because the moment you turn your head sideways, suddenly it's left-right flipped. Okay. Like, so, so, so suddenly it's up-down flipped. Hmm. And it's because your brain's going, oh, I can just walk around that. And like, you know, I could just be the other side. Um, what, what's your explanation for that one? 
I do really have a good one. It's a front back thing. Because it is. Mirrors do. They don't flip left, right? They, they flip front back. That's the rules of mirrors. And I think people get caught up in thinking it's something to do with the fact that their eyes are on a horizontal. Oh, tell me about it. You've got a left yeah. eye and a right eye. Yeah, but just if you if you do it with a camera... Well, yeah, you close one eye and it's still... Still the case. Or yeah. close one eye, even easier, yeah. I guess there are a series of harder problems. I don't know if you're about to suggest one. I know, Where you can Go kind of cross-hatch things. Or, like, yeah. you could do something with the lights. Because the thing about fairy lights is, like, the string is subdivided into smaller uh, string lengths. And between the lights. Maybe you want it so that the LED doesn't uh, form the end of one of them or something. Well, I was kind of, yeah, I mean, I was kind of hoping that the light would actually be the touch point for each. And so, what can you possibly do? And given two um, lengths of finite and and real. Oh, is this true? Hmm, okay. Given a real width of the mirror. Yep. And a real distance. Of equal distance between each of the lights on a fairy light, is there an angle that it will touch the um, it will touch the corner, the corner under the constraint that every time it touches the side, a fairy light touches the. Uh... I I'm not even sure you can do it if you get rid of the um, the light restriction. If you get just given a length of rope. And you're trying to zigzag it across. I don't think. Oh yeah, sorry. Cool. Yeah, no. I have a. I have a. I have an implicit unbounding. Let's say you can have it as long as you want. So the 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 constraint is not the length of the fairy light. Rope. Okay. It's the the distance between the fairy lights. Is there a number of times you can cross where it'll 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 reach the bottom corner? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's just that length times the other length. But that's got to be an integer. So how do you? find an integer in there I guess the decimal point's got to stop at some point but I think if if your distance is pi which is an unending hmm. decimal number I don't think you're going to get an integer unless the other one happens to also be yeah I, I think in general it's not going to be solvable yeah for rational numbers it will be okay yeah you just take ratios between them it's the nice thing about rational numbers I've quite liked this solution I like the idea that we can just bring it out in a big right-angle triangle. Yeah. It gives a nice visual. And, and of course, if you want to do it for heights, the same works for heights. It's just the same problem rotated around the, uh, the x equals y. I'm kind of uh, thinking of it. Imagine your pane of glass is not fixed into a window frame, but it's just stood up like an obelisk in front of you. And you've uh, sellotaped it to the top left corner, and you make this big right-angle triangle. I'm kind of thinking of it like you're wrapping it around and around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, it, and, it's, and it's glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that works. It's the same idea, right? It's just yeah. an easy, practical one to do if your window happens to not be in your window place. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a piece of listener feedback here mm-hmm. by um, Andre Maru, as always. It's great. <laughs> It's about the trapezium numbers that we did last time. Just quickly on the things that we found out last time. Powers of two, we couldn't do as trapezium numbers, and we proved that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were happy that odd numbers we could do, because we could just do them as two-layered ones. It's like you've got one extra on the bottom. Any odd number you can do is uh, half of it plus 
or minus a half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's come up with a, a very clever method here. Uh, it, it's similar to that, but it just extends it to more layers. Um, so, let's take any other number. So, it's not a pair of two, but it's just some other number. And since we've already taken the odds, let's assume that it's a, an even number. Yeah. An even number that isn't a pair of some two. Some non-pair of two even number. And we know it's got at least one odd factor. Yeah. So, for example, 24 is three times eight. Yeah. Let's take the number that isn't necessarily odd, so the other bit, to be our centre number, so 8. And we're going to make a sequence here, which has the other factor, 3, yeah. number of terms. So we could write it as 789. 7 plus 8 plus 9, which uh, equals 24. Uh, they always centre around whatever the other factor yeah. is. And the number of terms you have is uh, the odd factor. They've always got at least one odd factor, so you can always do this. Yeah. Now, um, Andre Maru also uh, took care of one of the other cases, because it may look like there's a problem. So the example he gave was the number 44. So if you think of that as 11 times 4, well, that would be starting off at 4 and doing 11 digits, 11 terms. So you would count 5 either side. So it'd be 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 going up one way, and then below the 4 you'd get 3, 2, 1, uh, 0, minus 1. Now at first that looks bad, but the minus 1 and the 1 cancel out. Wow. And so we get, that's the same as 2 up to 9. Mm. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> I think this also gives you how many different ways you can decompose into a, tra- a trapezium number. Because if you can factor out different odd numbers, yeah, those are the different ways you can do it. Right, yeah, that's true. Well, is it? Because there's the ones where you do an even number around the midpoint between two other numbers. Uh, okay. Yeah, alright. Although, mm. yeah, okay, I accept your premise. Yeah. I made a, um, a puzzle for Big Maths Jam, the maths conference we went to. Um, I put it on Twitter, but I just thought, since everyone's got lots of time off for Christmas, I'd uh, put it on the show notes as well. So if you're interested in doing... It's a cryptic crossword, but it's not just that. It's a uh, cryptic crossword with a twist. Oh, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Um, It's good fun. I I got ten correct solutions at the the conference, so it's uh, definitely doable. Definitely doable, um, yeah. If you want something to do over this Christmas period, it's good fun. Mm. So, thank you very much for coming along for this Christmas episode of Odds and Evenings. We hope you've had a good time listening to the show. Every episode, one of the things we do is we go back and we discuss everything we talked about, because it's an hour show, you know, like you may be forgotten. Maybe maybe that was a couple of commutes ago, even, if you got a short commute. So, here's everything we talked about and, and what we thought about it. So, what was the first thing we talked about? Uh, Wyvov's game. That's the one with two piles of coins, or possibly you can think of it as a queen on a chessboard. Oh, yeah. And uh, we had some nice stuff with the golden ratio at the end. There was some pretty neat stuff with the golden ratio at the end. Um, yeah, I was pretty pleased with the fact that when we played our initial game, something in my bones said you'd won at 5-3. Yeah. I hadn't thought it through fully, but like my mathematical intuition went, Oh no! He's got ya! 
Yep. <laughs> I couldn't explain it. Yeah. The idea of these safe islands from which you've won, basically. Yep. Yeah. It's quite smart. So, uh, we need to give it a number. I, I'm really quite satisfied about that because it was a game proof thing where it led to a nice pure mathsy thing, the golden ratio. And mm. that's always nice. Uh, so, nine. It's a bit spooky, though, don't you think? Hmm. Does it deserve such a high number for being so spooky? I find it weird that, like, sometimes you look somewhere in maths and certain constants crop up. You know what I mean? It feels weird on like a sort of primordial level. It's like I'm, I'm like you're, you're, you're peeling off the layers of reality, hmm. and it turns out there's just like twelve constants just running on a on a treadmill <laughs> trying to keep reality going. <laughs> And you're just like, oh, what's the one underneath here today? It's like them and the prime numbers. Like, there's the, the constants and all the prime numbers, and that's it. Holding universe together. <laughs> and they're just, like, running on a little, yeah, like a treadmill or, or like an exercise bike, just getting very tired. It's like, oh, who's who's doing the work here today? Oh, it's you, the golden number. Okay, fine. Golden ratio, E, pi, I, 1. Yeah. Yeah. That just freak me out. Honestly, it's a bit, like, it gets a bit... This is the only time I will ever say this. It gets a bit, like... It gets a bit spiritual, and I think I understand the concept of, like, sacred numbers and why people would be really into that. Like, I empathize okay. with that. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Um, but but that's fine. It's allowed. It, it won't affect my score. Um, given that we didn't come up with the golden ratio stuff ourselves. Yep. Seven. Okay. That's fair. Um, to the listeners, off camera, off microphone, I did a bit of work on the 3D case. It doesn't really add anything. It's basically the same problem. Oh, really? Okay. Cool. So, the second thing we did, that was your thing from A Christmas Story. Yes, the movie is called A Christmas Story. Um, it is the decoding of Little Orphan Annie's secret code, um, which um, Ralphie does with the use of a special coin he'd been given. And we were just talking about this coin and, and how it worked. Yep. And that's fine. I don't think we discovered anything in particular but it was yeah interesting because i'm used to sort of caesar ciphers and this wasn't quite what that was yeah it was like a shuffling of the alphabet that you can then caesar cipher well my favorite thing from that was what i thought this was actually going to be when i first saw that coin mm. a bit like the enigma of uh rotating it one thing after every letter that you encode yes and um yeah. i think that would be much harder to break but would still yeah. be breakable yeah, but I'm glad that, like, I mean, I've had a look at the pictures, and I'll make a an album of the pictures in the show notes. I'm glad that it's real. Like, it's such a classic movie, and again, people outside of the USA might not understand this, but it's such a classic movie. Uh, I'm, I'm re- just so glad that it was, like, consummate all the way yeah. down. Yeah. And that it actually made sense, and they'd done it, and that, like, the producers hadn't just, like, gotten the kid to slap some random numbers on a... Like... When I counted and saw that there were the correct number of numbers, and that the second one was the same as the last one, the E in B and the E at the end of Ovaltine, um, it, I was I I had a good I had a good thought. Yeah, yeah. It's a pity about that um, inconsistency. The uh, B was it B two versus B twelve? Oh yeah. So set your pins to B twelve. It is a pity about that one. That strikes me as uh, someone came up with the idea and then last minute in the script one of the writers that was not involved with it has a uh, messed it all up 
And it says, oh, B12 sounds much better than B2. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to give it a six. It was just generally talking about ciphers. And I yeah. just enjoy that. Likewise. And I'm, I'm glad that, like, we worked out exactly the extent to which it was wrong. Because something's always wrong in Hollywood. What was the last thing we talked about? Uh, zigzag lights. So it's yes. zigging and zagging your way from one corner to the other of a window. Hmm. I, I bought this not as a kind of pure maths thing, but as a practical thing. How would I practically do this? And um, I feel the drawing it out as a big right angle triangle. Drawing by which I mean like physically moving rather than getting a pen and paper out. I really like that idea. That's not practical. You don't have enough window. It depends how big your fairy lights are. Class and then you've got to big. do it again. And and, and then and then you gotta you gotta tape it at the intersection and then and then you gotta do it again in the other direction. You yeah. gotta do it like N minus one times. Okay, well you get a student to hold one end of it. They go to the other end of the classroom, you get another student to uh, tape it where it intersects with the edge. Yeah. And it's easier after that because it's shorter. Yeah, okay. It gets faster. Yeah. It gets yeah. Sorry, that didn't. That was all the same rhythm. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can say "dirt" like going faster each time. Yeah, okay, that's better. I'm looking at my waveform as I'm recording. Okay, yeah, I guess it's kind of practical. Like, how big's a fairy light chain anyway? Twenty foot. Um. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, about that. You buy them in like fifteen meter, like fifteen foot, something like that. Some nice round number. Um, I'll give it an 8. I came with a practical problem to solve and we solved it. We solved it in a way that wouldn't require me getting out a ruler. Yeah, I don't want to keep copying your numbers, but yeah, that is about right. Right, that's it for this week's Odds and Evenings. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, there are various ways you can do that. So there's a contact form on the website, or we're getting quite active on Twitter now. That's oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact and at oddsandevenings. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Alaric never does this bit. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, I don't know. You always play the subreddit, but no one ever uses it. No one ever. Have, do you ever check it? No. Do you want me to check it now? Sure. Live on the show. I will check to see if anybody's put in a thing. Reddit.com forward slash r forward slash odds and evenings. So there is something. User Trixelian, two months ago, posted number 20, Tangles, Twists and Trots. There is independent activity on the subreddit. Everybody flock to the subreddit and post things. Um, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at, at SpeakMouthWords. Um, that's it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a very Merry Christmas. We'll catch you in the new year, yeah? Yeah? Talk to you soon, yeah? 2019. Is it prime? No. Divides by three. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Right. That was an ending. That was one of many possible ends <laughs> we could have recorded. Um, well, I'm sure you can edit something nice out of that. Some, something will come out of that. <laughs> <laughs>